So this episode is part two of my other love, um, re-mumblecore, not my other other love, which is the episode that I am working on, but it'll obviously be out later. Um, And we return to the topic of mumblecore and movies and movements, and I realized that I've been lazy in my presentation on one level. I can never be a teacher for this reason, because it's like, I don't want to review the material. Come correct, and then we'll talk about the implications that can spring forth from basic knowledge. But nobody has the basic knowledge to my, you know, recollection. So I, I need to provide examples and info so that we are all in the know. I apologize in the future, because I do plan to do, like, conferences and shit someday. Like, that's not a way to get people on board with the idea or the implications. If I don't, if I have a chip on my shoulder about the basics, so... To begin this, before we get into the meaty conversations, um, we gotta learn some shit about mumblecore. Uh, so that's where that's where we start. I apologize again. Brace your butt cheeks. Grab a blankie and some tea. Since this episode is a part two, a, a part two for. Um, I'm not going to waste anybody's time after the info, but I do want to say that I have all kinds of high hopes, um, and I just look forward to this part the most. The time where I get to hear other people talk about their stuff, and I'm very excited for this, because I don't just talk to anybody about movies or media. I mean, I will talk at anybody, but to talk to people around it and amble through it and have the deep conversation so apparently I'm a snob uh unintended unintended but I'm trying to change this because all I want to do is talk and connect and really understand where people are coming from it's not even a requirement if you ask me any questions anymore it's like let me know you because I'm obviously not shy about letting you know me so Let's just be together in our thought sharing, and I don't mind monologuing at all. In fact, it's a great skill to practice listening and learning about others and then to navigate the conversational space. And the best way you can do that, ironically enough, is by shutting the fuck up. But before we do that, like I said in the intro, we have to go through our info. So I'm going to turn it over to my, my other, other other love and these are all loves after like my current love by the way like James is not in second place to any of these things that I mentioned they're ideas and spiritual you know life force givers but like they never take the place of the people in my life um I digress my other 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 love YouTube uh for some much needed info gathering about Mumblecore. Also, this has gotten bigger than high maintenance because now I'm thinking about the whole enterprise of film and it's like, what isn't Mumblecore? But like, is Mumblecore a thing? So we're going to have some cool conversations. We're going to learn some stuff together. My butt teeth are not braced for this, but that's okay. I hope yours are. Even if they're not, we're in this together. So, so what is this mumblecore thing? Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. Susan and I were sort of 
right there at the start of whatever it is, at least at the naming of it, which happened at South by Southwest in 2005 when Four Eyed Monsters was there and when our film Kissing on the Mouth was there. And Puffy Chair. And the Puffy Chair and Mutual Appreciation. Right. And these four movies were all made by people of roughly the same age, were made by real couples, playing couples in the movie. None of them were really traditional kind of narrative movies. They all really focused a lot more on the characters and on the relationships and on a level of naturalism and sort of using documentary film techniques. Because none of us knew each other. Right. Yeah, we were all like, whoa, hey. We got it when we, yeah. when we saw your like, blurb about Kissing yeah. on the Mouth, we yeah. were like, oh no, someone made the same movie as us. <laughs> and then we saw it and we were like, okay, it's distinctly yeah. different. All four, like, you know, really. yeah. all four that's, yeah, that yeah. is what's really That's weird, that so. simultaneous invention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so in all in different parts of the country, yeah. all, you know, uh, all of us sort of had made similar works, but then when, when all four were put right next to each other, were, were really different. Yeah. But there were enough similarities that, that between us and also the, the press at the festival, people just sort of started talking about, well, what's going on? How come all of a sudden there's these four movies and who are these people? And they were joking about what should we call these four movies, right? What, what, like, what's the genre? On this film Mutual Appreciation, the guy who did the sound was always having trouble understanding the lead actor because he was claiming that he mumbled all the time. And then, so that sound guy said mumblecore as a sort of a reference to music, like hardcore yeah. or something like that. Nobody really liked it. Everybody thought it was a stupid name. Yeah, nobody wanted to be called mumblecore. Nobody wanted to be called mumblecore. <laughs> but we were happy to get the press. And it never, it just never went away. Is mumblecore a, a, a movement or is it did it come out of the type of basically making films with no money and sure. telling the stories that you want to tell? Yeah. I think it's more of a movement because I think that we didn't tell the films that we told because for no budget, like in a sense, well, this is all we can do. We have no budget, so this is all <laughs> well. You can't make Ben Hur, right? But but okay, I think so but I think what was interesting uh, is like Aaron and I specifically had something we wanted to discuss in the film, and that was kind of like what it's like to be lonely in a city and to be a creative and to not know what you're doing and then to find somebody that brings out everything in you that you've always wanted to have unleashed at least even if it's only momentary you know it's something that can be shot like on no budget because it's real mm -hmm. you know and depicting something that's real is i think it's something that we've all tried to do uh -huh. and i think because mm -hmm. that's what we want to communicate versus because we don't have any money and I think also a lot has to do with the fact that we were we acted in it and we're all untrained actors. But why did you act in it? Because you had to? Well, Not that we uh, had to, had to, but also for, I mean, for Kissing on the Mouth, it was just a level of comfort and intimacy between us because we knew there would be sex scenes and things like that. It was easier for us to act in it because there was basically four of us making the whole movie. Because we knew each other, we could get to the place we wanted to get much quicker than if we had cast actors and had to work with them for six months to sort of, to get that trust. You know, the thing is yeah, like actors well. are really easy to get, you know, I mean, there are so many actors and a lot of them are really good and all of them would just be so happy to be in something. And like, even if you just feed them, that we definitely could have gotten actors if we wanted them. That's all you gotta do is feed them? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. eventually they're gonna want more, but you know, when you're just starting out, it's yeah. like, okay. I mean, but really, I mean, I think for us, too, it was that we thought that the only people that could portray the story was us because it was about us. And then in Puffy Chair and stuff like that, I mean, they are actors. Yeah, they are actors. You know, so, mm -hmm. of course, they're They gonna... are actors. <laughs> so you don't consider yourself actors? I, I well... Apparently not. So that is only 
four and a half minutes of a 13 minute long edifying episode um where I don't even know the dude who runs it but the I mean film fellas that might be the name of the channel or or the show or whatever but it's like I I watched it last weekend um because this question really opened up about movements in film because this started I don't want to tell you how it started hopefully I'll remember and it'll be revealed when I talk to James um and maybe we can cover that angle of it when I talk to Maggie but I'm so excited to have this conversation um so yeah I picked two people who are very important to me uh and yeah that's that's all I want to say if you want to hear the rest of it because that that little blurb actually gives a the most succinct little um kind of history and explanation way better than what I could say about mumblecore um and that's it and it's from the sources themselves so the directors of those films uh what's his name this is not good what's his name Joe Swanberg I always forget his name um and then the other two I haven't seen any seminal like mumblecore movies I know the more polished Hollywoodish version of them so things like Francis Ha, I'm a Noah Baumbach stan. Uh, I love all of Joe Swanberg's work. Um, Happy Christmas, Digging for Fire, the poster, I'm looking at it right on my wall. Uh, easy, if you're familiar with, um, if you're familiar with Netflix. What? It's 2020. Who doesn't have Netflix, sort of? Um, but his show Easy is on there all three seasons. Uh... Mistress America, that's not by him, um, but I'm blanking on other Joe Swanberg shit. Uh, is Drinking Buddies by him? Maybe. I can't think of it right now, but he's a favorite, so I know his work, and to see him in this thing, I'm like, oh, nice. But he doesn't, he really doesn't like the, um, the implication of, like, his stuff being called Mumblecore, so, but yeah, watch all of that if you want to learn more and hear more about the other directors i haven't seen puffy chair i haven't seen uh the other movies he talks about i don't even think i saw his first movie whatever was kicked off at the south by southwest festival um but yeah hey hey how's it going it's going how are you I am doing very well. I'm watching um, Tasty videos, and I have the sound on my TV very low. I have my <laughs> knitting next to me. Um, I feel like, like, I, like when I picture you like in your room, I just picture you like always having like at least one source of like a, a movie or a show like in, in your like ambient environment somewhere around you. <laughs> that is accurate. I am babysat by a screen all the time, often. Um, you're multitasking mm-hmm. but that's my <laughs> nothing gets state. in the way of your of your you know engagement with things <laughs> nice how was your day um my day was good this is like oh I've kind of lost count I think like day 28 <laughs> 27 oh, wow. of quarantine mm. uh it was really like blustery and rainy in New York today and windy so I I have found that since we've been under stay-at-home orders that I'm, like, extra, extra um, 
sensitive to like what the weather is i have lower tolerance for not sunny days i was inside most of the day i didn't take like my daily my daily walk today Mm -hmm. and uh but it was good it was uh you know just another day of being in the house and trying to get some work done and i've actually been rewatching six feet under (laughs) (laughs) heart clutch yeah which i haven't watched it's actually been years so that's been kind of interesting to revisit Uh, as like a sort of time capsule of that era of prestige television (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah which was my introduction to prestige television like you know I just got into Sopranos like last year (laughs) my dad just finished the Sopranos he called me this week because he had just finished the last episode and wanted to talk it out But um, yeah, I, I Six Feet Under, I remember like renting the DVD sets from like the video <laughs> store in high school and watching them in the basement. So, which I think it was either like semi around the time that it was actually on because we never had HBO when mm. I was a kid or uh, maybe shortly after if I was watching them on DVD. But And then eventually I owned some of the box sets of the uh, seasons so but it hasn't been a really long time I haven't like returned to this one very often mm-hmm. I'm already ready to go off in several different tangents and they <laughs> just started um, but I'm curious what episode are you on um so I just kind of like randomly started in season three like the middle of season three mm. and I think I have moved on to the next season it's it's kind of like the section where lisa goes missing oh. yeah so there's like time in like the previous season um where like brenda's not really around mm-hmm. um and then like i think at the change of the season is when she sort of becomes like a regular again and yeah i'm, I'm a few episodes into that plot arc of lisa being gone and no one knowing what happened to her so Wow. Yeah. I love each season for different reasons. And when I'm in a mood, I sort of pick and volley between, you know, where I want to go. Um, Similar to how I rewatch Mad Men, I'm currently rewatching Six Feet Under and I'm in season four. Yeah. I kind of remembered that I preferred the second half of the show. Like, Mad Men, I could rewatch in perpetuity forever. I, I love every season. Six Feet Under, I think, like, randomly picking, like, a season two. And I don't remember exactly because it's been a while. But I feel like season two was maybe one of the weaker ones overall. Mm. And uh, it's funny. Like, the show, I, it's not super timeless, right? It's, like, a very specific, like, time capsule of, yeah. like its own era of television and like what it was kind of trying to do and like boundaries that it was pushing. And um, I don't know, like sometimes it works really well and like holds up as an interesting time capsule. And other times I'm like, okay, okay, let's like get to like more different plot lines. (laughs) But I mean, the strength of that show is the characters. They're just like really, really brilliantly fleshed out characters that have very like interesting you know, momentums throughout the run of the series. So I've been into it and it's been long enough that I'm like, you know, of course it's all familiar, but I, I don't like know everything that's happening like by heart. So mm-hmm. it's been an interesting rewatch. Um, before we pivot to talk about Mumblecore, like the, for me, the, 
the best part about Six Feet Under, and I'm I'm obsessive, as you know. Like I can, I almost think of it like clothes or like socks or shoes, like something I can slip into. Because like, there were periods of my life in high school where I would watch an episode or two as I was falling asleep. I'd fully watch it and then like go to bed, and I did it on repeat. But it all started with Rent. When I got Rent on DVD, um, ooh, I see your text. It said that. Are you back? I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> oh, not a problem. Welcome back. Like, Thank you. I feel like this is its its own documentary process. Like, we're keeping it all. This is totally <laughs> fine. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I um I don't know if like all of New York City is just stressing the Wi-Fi <laughs> network all at the same time, or if it's it was windy today. I have no idea, but. I'm not having any luck troubleshooting, so we'll try it this way for now. Okay. Um, I was saying about six feet under, for me, it feels like a sweater. I put it on. I'm like, ooh, I know what this episode is. Like, I know it that well. And that was a habit that started with Rent when I bought it on DVD when I was like, I was in eighth grade. And I remember telling somebody in my class, I was like, it's never going to be, it's going to be in theaters forever because it's such a popular movie. And then it came out like a month later on DVD. I bought the DVD and I watched it <laughs> every day until sophomore, every night until like sophomore year of high school. Yeah. So how old were you when it came out? I was, so 2005, I was like 13 or 14. Okay. So it was kind of like formative. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Because see, I, I was never a fan of the movie. I disliked it a lot because I loved the show, like the stage show so much and the original soundtrack and, you know, like being a purist like that. And I was older. I think I was like either high school or out of high school when the movie came out. Mm. And I remember being like, oh, no, it didn't. It didn't do it. <laughs> I, I got at it backwards. Like it, the movie was my introduction I went okay. to them to see it with Vicky and Matt and I was like, whoa, this is life changing. What is HIV? Who are these people singing in New York City? <laughs> <laughs> and then I found the stage production. Like I, I rented the uh, the libretto, like I borrowed it from the library, the main library in Youngstown. Yeah. Yes. I was so into it. Yes. I had I remember I had like the double the double disc CD of the, <laughs> of the original cast soundtrack. And I just, I don't know, I got into it via musical theater friends. And then we were just all extremely obsessed with it, like eighth and ninth grade mm-hmm. <laughs> before I ever got to see it. I think it was years later before I saw like a production of it. But wonderful. But yeah, and I mean, you're, you're like a rewatcher. You like to revisit things that you love. Mm-hmm. And I do too. I feel like, I feel like sometimes, like, especially with shows, like, my favorite shows that I tend to go back to a lot, like The Sopranos and Mad Men, I am actually really careful not to do it too often. Because something does kind of get squelched for me if I'm, like, if it's been too recent that I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And I like to, like, let it air out and have, like, long seasons in between where (laughs) I haven't seen it so that it kind of is, like, a little bit new and I think, like, upon revisitations of something like a movie or a book or a show that you love, you do get, like, different things out of it at different times. But, um, 
Yeah, that's it's that's why it's been so interesting with Six Feet Under because I was I was like a teenager when I got really really into this show for the first time and I haven't I think I might have like rewatched parts of it since then but definitely not in years so it's kind of interesting. Oh, wonderful. What are your thoughts on? I mean, I I obsess, but like, what are your takes on mumblecore and the idea of it? The whole anything you know about it what is your introduction to it yeah I was thinking about that because I was listening to your um uh, earlier episode where you were kind of talking about high maintenance and like thinking like I mean well what is it <laughs> like how do you how do you define it um I I define it like it's naturalistic dialogue low budgety movies unknown actors um kind of studying the day-to-day and it's intimate and we get to know like the experiences of these people just like living their lives. That's how I would define it. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's almost from, I mean, for me, I feel like it's almost even more, I don't know if I think of it so much as like an ongoing genre or like a, a sort of like timely movement that, happened and then continues to have an influence but I think of it like definitely like you said like specific kind of actors and like people that like were part of a bunch of movies that kind of had this like mid mid aughts you know mid early aughts like time frame um and a lot of like actors that kind of like show up in multiple things and um like you said like really personal and intimate almost sometimes in sort of like a cringeworthy way right where people are being like real vulnerable and working out their stuff um and like verbose and hipstery yeah I was gonna say I think like when when you say mumblecore I think about like the characters are of a certain demographic right like either kind of like yuppies or like (laughs) Uh, like some kind of young creative class of people that are sort of navel gazy and really, really fixated on their like relationships or other baggage in their lives. Um, and I feel like that like time period that a lot of this stuff was kind of like defining it as like a a term. It was also there was like a sort of like I don't know, not really satirical maybe not even always like super self-aware because it was like really hipstery and like sort of even twee sometimes (laughs) yeah but I feel like um really accessible like not just to view but like the making of these feels like it was like low I don't want to say low stakes (laughs) like low (laughs) low barrier to entry right like sort of indie like you could you could make a show or a movie just like film your friends talking to each other or write a screenplay about your friends talking to each other you know so but I don't know like do you think of it as an ongoing like living genre or is it I mean obviously it's handy to have a term right to talk about like a style but I feel like it's really time specific oh yeah like it's funny. James and I were talking about this over the weekend as I was like making my first episode of of this and I it kind of blew it wide open. I was like, I can't do this in one episode because like he was talking to me <laughs> about Atlanta and he was like, well, that's definitely mumblecore, but like an intersectionality 
auteur kind of thing and different. And, and I was like, but wait, what is it? And we started talking about the same things you and I are discussing. And I don't know if it is like I'm falling yeah. out of love with the term. It's certainly a style, but maybe it is like time specific. And then it's gone on to influence something in film today and kind of go beyond those original movies that were termed that and the directors yeah. themselves don't even think of it like they don't like it either they reject the term so now I'm like well it almost makes it any movie whereas like James will look at it and he's like well if people are kind of hipstery and talking about it and navel gazy like look this is some mumblecore shit and I'm like it can be but is it and then yeah. by the time he and I were talking about it in deeper depth um, at least through text message I was like oh my god I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore yeah I mean I I like I like thinking about Atlanta I can definitely see that there and in a lot of shows like like you have pointed out high maintenance and I don't know I'm trying to think of another example um I don't know stuff like transparent Mm -hmm. or stuff that's really dialogue driven Atlanta I feel like has so much going on aesthetically and like stylistically but it would be really um well I don't know I feel like it's sort of um reductive to call it mumblecore Mm. you know and I wouldn't like say that it's like not a positive term to apply to things but that's why I think about it more as like a timely movement that was kind of an aesthetic of filmmaking showmaking led by a sort of circle of artistically connected people Mm -hmm. at a certain point in time and do we like see the influence of that media continuing to show up in our content and media today like yes definitely but I don't know I don't know I don't know if that time is still I don't know if it's still like an active ongoing term for me and then like you said too it's like a slippery slope once you start saying like well if it's about people like talking to each other and like kind of like analyzing their problems and then like if you broaden it that much there's so much other stuff um that I think is kind of outside of that initial umbrella you know yeah the the other thing I look at Atlanta and I I I almost want to be a purist about it too. Like I wanted to debate him on this in a way, and I don't know where that drive came from, but the, the difference, cause like if you think of Atlanta, it's an, an FX show. So they have mm-hmm. the money and they have the aesthetics and the power and the reach. Um, but in a, in one sense, I think there's something independent about Mumblecore and it's, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't quite fit in that category, but it can. And it, you know, but you have to make these different, these grand claims around how it could fit or what it doesn't do. And that's where the the term kind of loses its steam for me. It's like, well, I just like this mm-hmm. great work because I can intimately connect to the characters. Um, but see, now I'm like getting into a point where I've, I've zoomed in too far. I'm looking at Adams. <laughs> so, you know. It's- <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that it's easy to do that because like we were saying, having like a term to talk about a sort of galaxy of styles and like movies and shows that you like is really handy. Mm -hmm. So it is tempting, but I like, I, I can definitely, it, 
I can see it and apply it to high maintenance, uh, which has also evolved and changed a lot since its inception. Um, and I can see that it's like the like DNA of that like little movement of mumblecore is in that show. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel it as much with Atlanta and I don't know. It's crazy because we have like a world now where there's just so much content like being created all the time, right? And things are just like in conversation with each other and influenced by each other. Mm-hmm. But like I think about other stuff that you and I have talked about and liked that like could certainly like check off some of the boxes of like how we're defining this. But like a movie that we have talked about a lot together is Columbus, which I think was like 2017. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that is a movie that actually, I mean, when I think about movies that I'm compelled to revisit, I don't know what it is. That movie specifically, I, I, I have probably watched it like 12 times by myself, which is crazy because <laughs> it hasn't even been around that long. But, you know, that movie is about kind of like young people who are sort of like torn on their destiny and what they should be doing with themselves and um sort of like meditatively you know sitting in rooms talking to each other and there's sort of like an angst but I (laughs) to me that movie and its style is very distinct from like a Joe Swanberg movie or something that like you know yeah no Baumbach does or um and you know I think there's like I mean I don't think it's like greater or lesser I just feel like it it would be like reductive to use that genre term to talk about that movie because I just feel like it existed in its own like moment in time and its own kind of like stylistic incarnation, you know? I agree. Oh yeah. I loved that movie too. Me too. Oh. I, I actively love it. <laughs> Is it still on Hulu? Uh, it, it has been for a long time because that's where I have primarily access. <laughs> I think it's also on Canopy. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I, oh, I had a question a while ago. Let me see if I can pull it out of my brain. Well, it's gone. Um, like, so what, oh, what are your thoughts on Joe Swanberg's work? Cause he, I wouldn't say he's militantly against the mumblecore term, but he's been vocal to say like, uh, I reject this and then kind of leave it at that. <laughs> which is funny because i kind of feel like those are the well i don't know what did he i don't know if i've like seen all his movies he did like happy christmas right happy christmas um digging for fire yes i saw that one easy i like that one that's a series on netflix yes which is like a show right Mm -hmm. it's like a anthology show kind of Mm -hmm. and his stuff features like chicago like it's very mm-hmm. regional yeah yeah and a lot of the same actors mm-hmm. are like in casts of his different stuff um yeah I mean <laughs> I don't know like that's kind of that's kind of like what I think of when I think when I hear this word used <laughs> is his his stuff you know so if he rejects it maybe nobody wants it <laughs> But I don't know, like, do you hear people using it, using the term mumblecore? 
I mean, just James and I do. And I think he's taking the piss a little bit when he does. And then I think of it when I when I watch movies or different kinds of things and I see it. But like, I don't know, you two are two people that I talk to about movies with the most. And aside from you and James, no, <laughs> people don't use it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like again, I have come across it, but I feel like it's in almost like already like a looking back sense. Like, oh, here was this distinct era of like indie filmmaking where we had these kinds of movies that had this very sort of charming hipster <laughs> DIY aesthetic. And I mean, we we like them and I think that a lot of them have long-standing influence Mm. um but i don't know i'm ambivalent about whether the term continues to be um like useful or applicable Mm -hmm. you know this has opened my eyes so wide like before that i would just be like "Mm, okay whatever like here it is this is mumblecore like in my mind (laughs) <laughs> or James and I would be watching eight hours of TV. Some weekends we're hanging out and then it's like, ooh, this is some mumblecore stuff. And then it's like, but now I'm like, ooh, I'm on the other side of this idea of like, maybe it doesn't even matter or it can be like, I, there's more flexibility and I've gotten this great perspective from you and him. Um, and I'm just like, my skin is tingling in a good way. <laughs> um, oh, do you no. think that, do you think that like the movies, like Joe Swanberg's movies and like, I don't know, like Tiny Furniture and like Francis Ha and mm-hmm. some of the other stuff that you mentioned. Do you think that they will age as into classics? Um, like they're, they're very much like of a time, right? Yeah. A specific era and a specific sort of milieu of of people. But do you think that they'll have, I don't know, like long-standing... I mean, tiny furniture is definitely in the Criterion collection, which yeah. is kind of kind of a little surprising because it was pretty recent, mm-hmm. and it's not like they just churn out picks for the Criterion collection. Well, you know, here's the thing: like, now I have to answer this in two ways because, and I need to be very clear: like, we're talking about shit that I love, like movies that I really do love, and a movement that I love. Um, so I'm biased as fuck. And then I'm also, I need to take a step <laughs> back. Um, so yes and yes. But like one yes has 800 exclamation points. The biased <laughs> side of me. And then the other part of me is like, yes, because of um, the the time that it represents, like what it says about culture and the young people and a certain, like you said, a culture class or a, what did you say? An artist class or a creative class? Yeah. Um, and like a very specific brand of people, you know, and I think right. it's like the post postmodern bohemian or bohemian like kind of crew that it captures that tiny furniture is kind of capturing or maybe more like a millennial kind of thing. But either way, yeah. here is a snapshot of people who are trying to adult in this brand of the world and make relationships and do the thing called life. Um, and I think that's why Tiny Furniture is in the Criterion Collection, to be honest with you. I really like that movie. Um, yeah, but I don't I, know I, if I've it only deserves to it be one. there, but I, I like it, and I think it deserves that. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I just contradicted myself, but I'm, I'm on the fence about if it deserves it. But I think that yeah. could be why it's in there. I mean, I 
I'm sure that there are, you know, film people that have ambivalence about it, but <laughs> I mean, it's fine with me. I, it's not, it's not something that I've returned to or watched again. Um, I appreciated it. Like I appreciated girls and girls is girls is a show that I watched while it was on. And I think I saw, I, I saw all of it, but I also haven't really gone back to that one. Um, but when you were talking and describing like, what it was doing and like why it has like artistic merit and maybe deserves to go down as a classic. I feel like you were actually describing like high maintenance really, really well. (laughs) And what I was going to say about high maintenance is I feel like as a sort of like, if you want to say it's a, it's like a, I don't know, part of the sort of legacy of Mumblecore Mm -hmm. to talk on like a short timeline. I feel like it's maybe more like self-conscious it's more like intentionally satirical Mm -hmm. right like it sort of gently makes fun of the sort of demographic of characters that it features but with love yeah you know and I feel like um what you were saying about people in their moment in time just trying to like be adults and figure out their relationships and do what they need to do like in the HBO era of high maintenance, the whole tagline for the show is helping you maintain. And that's kind of become like a theme, right? Like everybody's just doing what they need to do to get by. And I think in the early episodes, it really was more focused on like a specific demographic and class, like much like some of those other movies that we were mentioning. And then it has really like branched out and expanded and, almost become more of like a humans of New York slice of life Mm. Um, like bigger constellation of like experiences and characters Um, and I I love it I've loved it when it was a web series Um, you know I think it has like strong points and some episodes are like not as strong for me but um, I, I you know in definitely I have responded more to that show and like been more attached to it personally than I was to girls or like tiny furniture, mm-hmm. you know. That's so funny for two reasons. Um, you you've helped me remember my question um, because it was related to high maintenance, and I'm the opposite for you because uh, I opposite of you because I I remember watching girls, and when it came out, I was like, oh my god, Lena Dunham, what is this bullshit? Like I was adamantly against it only to find (laughs) years later I was going to fall absolutely in love with this show um because to me it helped me have some kind of representation in a way of how to fumble through adulthood or maturing that last hump of like adolescence your later adolescence into adulthood and self-sufficiency even though I'm not narcissistic the way that Hannah is or like yeah, any no. of them at all I don't really have that kind of life that they do but there was still something very gratifying and cathartic for me to watch them and that's why I really love that show um, yeah but high maintenance is taking a different place like I think it's helping me cross a bridge a little bit um, because because I'm sitting here while I was listening to you share all of that I was like oh my gosh like maybe I just needed to mature a little bit to really appreciate what they have to offer um, through high maintenance. But I, I'm aware of the history of the show. I just never watched the webisode. So my only in has been um, the HBO show, but you are mm-hmm. more familiar with 
both versions so what yeah i mean i mean i it's been a while um but i remember watching the web series like on vimeo on my old macbook when we still lived in pittsburgh so that was at least five years ago maybe more than that and uh i don't remember how i came across it like i really i don't but I mean, it's it's not like a straight comparison. I think they're really, really different, mm-hmm. right? And we're linking them because we're kind of talking about this like aesthetic style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Girls was extremely character driven. And I think one of the things that was so compelling about it for me is that the characters are all um, not super sympathetic. Well, no, they, they're sympathetic in spite of like being assholes, right? <laughs> Like, everybody is kind of like a equitable, like, uh, doling out of, like, terrible moments and bad behavior among the whole cast, right? Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. And uh, I haven't really revisited it. Maybe I should. Maybe I, maybe it's been long enough that I would, maybe in quarantine, I'll have to go back to it. But, I mean, and I also think it's one of those things where things do have to hit you at the right time right and like what age you are and like what you're going through in your life makes you more or less open to like digging into certain experiences in in art and in media so I could see that you know um like we were talking about with rent right like if you are exposed to a movie for the first time you and I are only I don't know how many years apart not that many but like you know our experiences of that were really different because of the slightly different timelines on which we were introduced to like the intellectual property right (laughs) and I mean I think it's it could be similar with something like girls but um high maintenance doesn't well it doesn't really have it has some recurring characters but it kind of takes a while for the show to like ever get back to people that we've met before so it's really distinct from something like girls that is developing plot arcs over many years Mm -hmm. you know and high maintenance's whole initial premise was the weed guy is the is the person who goes into like the vulnerable intimate space of people's apartments in new york city and like what does he see there you know and that was um that's how it started i think it's kind of broadened in scope a lot um in its in its time that it's been around but um yeah i mean they were they were it was extremely diy right it was the creators at the time were like a married couple mm-hmm. and then they ended up splitting up I think midway through the HBO run and kind of like wrote some of that into the show mm-hmm. which you haven't seen it all yet so I don't want to like talk too much about the later seasons but I think I just I crossed the threshold of season three okay yeah right now I'm watching the current season which maybe ended I don't know. I don't know if I'm caught up or not. I'll have to check and see. I love high maintenance. Like, I just feel... I'm surprised by how it affects me emotionally. Like, the episode about... Oh, my God. Uh, The episode with the guy and his mom passed away, and then he gets the urn in the mail, and he's, like, cleaning out the lacrosse cans and 
Um, yeah. He meets the uh, the fortune teller after he chips and after he gets high using the last of the pot that his mom would buy because she was sick. Is that? So he's a recurring character. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? or No, I didn't know that. Okay, I... so then it must be from the web series that he appears the first time. And then the episode that you watched is like the first time that he's revisited. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I mean, I remember it's been a while since I've watched it. But that for me is one of the most memorable characters. And we definitely saw him at least twice. But I think he was one of the original webisode mm. uh, stories. That was like a punch in the gut. I was like, oh, my yeah. God. No, I find it incredibly cathartic. Um, I find it, like, life-affirming and positive. Like, it, it's something that I can watch, and I, it's not going to, like, be, like, a bummer. Even when the content is, you know, heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I mean, I find Ben Sinclair incredibly charismatic as a character and as an actor. And I think, like, him as an anchor for the show is really part of its impact right because he is like the recurring piece that you are sort of channeling everything through and he has like a a point of view that's really you know I don't know I I I feel like that's what the show does it like enables little moments of catharsis Mm -hmm. in in very like neatly packaged short episodes (laughs) so it's it's dependable in that way I want to talk about the episode I just watched, but I don't want to spoil it. So we'll have to revisit it at some point when you've caught up. (laughs) If you think of like other. Okay, so how does Greta Gerwig factor into this equation? Because she was in some seminal like mumblecore movie. I don't know. See, I never saw any of them, to be honest with you. Like I've seen I know of Joe (laughs) Swanberg's work. But I came out of it like a step removed from it. So like my my other in is Noah Baumbach. And I think the the part of it that where it becomes a little more mix of like, and this is just my take on it, uh, independent crossing over into like it becoming a little more mainstreamy in a way. So like Squid and the Whale, Marriage Story. Um, what else has he done? Margot at the Wedding, like that kind of. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I feel like Noah Baumbach would probably balk at that term being applied to his movie. <laughs> but I, I agree. They're like definitely there are aesthetic through lines and like similarities to some of the other ones we talked about. I think in Greta Gerwig, well, obviously, you know, <laughs> she's like a recurring person. Um, I don't know that any of the movies she's directed would fit into this for me but um are you thinking of Francis Ha or yeah. Hannah Takes Stairs did you see that one no I've seen Francis Ha and like Hannah Takes the Stairs I'm I think that was Joe Swamberg it's definitely like a Chicago movie mm-hmm. and it's similar to Francis Ha it's about I mean in in like premise not really like as well yeah there's definitely similarities <laughs> but she's the main character um in that movie which was i don't know like i have no idea pretty early i would say like pre-2010 probably wow um but other than that i don't really remember it super 
strongly. Uh, Francis Ha was a little more memorable to me. Um, which, what year was that? I don't know. Oh, geez. Like two- I lived in Pittsburgh. This is how I date things. Like, where <laughs> did I live? Because they're like distinct eras. So sometime between like 2011 and 2014, 15, maybe. Mm. I just had a thought. Yes. Um. So in my room, like the DVDs that I buy, I'm staring at my little collection of movies under the TV. And so I'm looking at the case for Rachel getting married. Um, oh, yeah. Is that? Oh, is that Mumblecore to you? Or have you seen that movie? Like, I'm not trying to apply anything. I have like, seen it. I, lo- I, I really like that movie, actually. Mm. That's the one where the TV on the radio guy is in it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I always get the titles for that one and Margot at the wedding confused. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know who who directed it. Um, let me grab it real quick. Mm, okay, directed by Jonathan. Dem Demi oh wow so he like he he did like Silence of the Lambs and like he did like the like Talking Heads movie Stop Making Sense I mean he's like a he's been around for a long time I'm sure he would also balk at that time (laughs) because he's not someone that was like of a specific like movement and generation of like filmmaking you know what I I mean like not of that one that we were Mm -hmm. kind of talking about before I didn't realize that Rachel getting married was him um but I don't know I haven't seen it in a long time but it kind of seems to fit into our working definition but not really the timely timeline part of it mm-hmm. what year was it like i don't know early 2000s also kind of like 2008 2009 i don't remember what i was doing in my life when this came out but i remember thinking like i remember reading something where they were like oh Anne hathaway star of uh, Princess Diaries tarnishing her image in Disney, blah blah blah, because she's <laughs> playing a drug addict. But um, yeah, maybe and Rosemary Rosemary DeWitt, who I love, is like the sister. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, so so similar to the Margot at the wedding, it, there's like a intense sister relationship <laughs> at the center of the wedding movie. Uh, I love the wedding in that movie. Me too. It's like at their one of the parents' houses under a tent, and it was just a really cool wedding. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So I feel like I should do something. Like I, I, I'm, I'm still like using the term mumblecore too willy nilly. Like I can't let it go. What should I do? <laughs> I think it's a positive thing that the things that you love are too broad and unwieldy to be categorized by one genre term. I think that you want to be able to because it's like easier to talk about stuff and like 
um, signal when something is like fitting into your, your, your personal, you know, (laughs) constellation of like aesthetic loves and things that like speak to you. But I don't, I, I think it's, it's good. It means that you're, you know, you've like really exploded your taste and exposure to things and you may have like reached the 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 depths of the usability of that that term Mm. (laughs) I mean that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to a lot of like all the stuff that we're talking about but I think it has limitations nice what are your oh the other part that I think is cool about mumblecore is that they talk about the um the uh like like the documentary aspect of film um so it's there's a narrative there's a diet there's like a world and it's fictional or you know but Mm -hmm. it also feels like you're observing and learning something like uh like you're watching and learning you know yeah um now connected to that my question is what are your favorite documentaries oh my god (laughs) i have so many um let me think I my favorite documentaries so there's one from a few years ago that's one of my favorite anything that I've watched or experienced in like the last 10 years it's called Dawson City Frozen Time Mm. and it's about um it's crazy even like saying what it's about is hard it's about this town in Alaska or Canada Dawson City that was like a tiny little center of the gold rush town so probably like Yukon territory I guess and um (laughs) I'm gonna go on a tangent just really quick to tell you this documentary but basically because this like surging little town sprang up around the the era of the gold rush um the town like had like saloons and restaurants and a post office and it had a movie theater. And um, because it was like this incredibly remote place back in the day when, you know, a movie was made and it was like on a spool, like nitrate film, right. They would literally ship it around the country to like tour movie theaters and cinemas um, so that like different smaller towns could access this movie like as it came out and Dawson City was kind of like the end of the line so they would receive films like years after they had like become like distributed in other places and it they had like this like kind of thriving little cinema culture in this tiny town and then post gold rush you know it the population obviously like dropped off and um they had basically because it was the end of the line they had tons and tons and tons of movies from like the silent era onward that stayed there they like unintentionally became like an archive right for like movie history because um because there was like nowhere else to send them they were like the final stop in the distribution schedule (laughs) And so this is like I'm not done like talking about the premise. So I love they that. had they had all these movies and um they were stored like I want to say in the public library and um 
the thing is, is that when movies were filmed on nitrate, nitrate film is like incredibly flammable. So early movies were like really prone to like decay and fragility, but also they would like literally like blow up <laughs> out of nowhere. And, and there, I mean, you can like research that there's tons and tons of stories of like devastating fires that were started by nitrate film just completely like bursting into flames out of nowhere. So, so they started having a problem in Dawson City because the the film that was being stored um, was it, it was like exploding and, and blowing up, you know. And they weren't like really a boom town anymore. And at some point, they had to like figure out what to do with it. <laughs> and like some of it, they like put on a raft, threw into the river, and it like floated away. But basically, they they buried it they like interred a lot of it um and ended up building like a ymca and there was a swimming pool i might be telling it in the wrong order but basically (laughs) basically they found this crazy treasure trove of old nitrate movies like years and years and years later later buried underneath the like swimming pool of this community center in this random old former gold rush town and the documentary is this incredible like telling of cinema history and the history of dawson city and all of these like stories and different pieces using the footage that was found like interred in the ground Um, it's really difficult to explain but it's like incredibly beautiful and sublime and sometimes when I'm like if I like can't fall asleep or something I'll just put it on as my environmental because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so gorgeous and compelling I think that's like my current number one. Oh, I love it I love I didn't mean, I didn't mean to answer your like simple documentary question like that but oh I I also I mean I really love the filmmaker Agnes Varda she's like you know my spiritual all-time favorite and I I've you know watched all of her documentaries pretty exhaustively <laughs> she did faces places a few years ago um that was like a kind of a big deal just a year before she died and then she did this other one um maybe like 10 12 years ago called the beaches of agnes that was like about her life i love that a lot um oh what else (laughs) we had to do a whole nother episode on documentaries yes 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 Grey Gardens. I just watched that this week. Have you seen Grey Gardens? No, I haven't seen it. Grey Gardens is like a pantheon of American documentary. And I, I was compelled to watch it because it's like the ultimate like stay in your house and don't leave <laughs> movie. It's um, the Maisels. They were like a duo brothers who made a bunch of important documentaries. But this one is about the Beals, Edie and Edith Beale, who are mother and daughter from this kind of uh, sort of post-aristocratic class. They lived in their old decrepit mansion in the Hamptons, and they were kind of, like, reclusive and never left the house. Um, Both, like, incredibly eccentric, charismatic people, but they were sort of, like, hoarders and had, I mean, at a certain point in their life, they had, like, 
tons of cats, like feral cats and raccoons living with them in the house. And raccoons? they would just have grocery. Yeah, raccoons. Um, the house is just like falling apart around them. Um, and Edie, the daughter, who's, you know, middle aged at the time of the documentary, she gives all these speeches about kind of bemoaning her fate, you know, being trapped in this house with her aging mother and kind of the deferred dreams of her like youth wanting to like break into show business and she was you know talented and beautiful and what could have happened in another life and it's amazing I highly recommend it mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have never seen it it's a good quarantine movie nice. they were also cousins of like Jackie Kennedy oh so that was I think part of the hook for getting the documentary made <laughs> Because they were Edith Bouvier Beale, the the elder Edie, mm-hmm. was uh, related to Jackie Jacqueline Bouvier. So, at some point, you know, like after JFK's death, mm-hmm. uh, they like cleaned out the mansion. the The Bouviers got involved basically and tried to like rescue their relatives from like the the sort of hoarder hoarder house that they were inhabiting but it's fascinating very fascinating cinema verite documentary experience did you have like a poster in your pittsburgh apartment? i did yeah i did i have no idea where that went somehow it got lost between pittsburgh and new york because i but... remember seeing it like i i feel like there was a show on that documentary now where they kind of did a spoof on that, yeah, but I didn't see the original it. like source material. And then I yeah. remember seeing like your poster. Um, and I remember thinking, Oh, this is kind of funny and cool, but I don't get the thing. Cause I didn't see the documentary. So now it all is kind of like clicking for me. Yeah. You should watch it. It's very beloved to me. Um, and Yeah. I mean, if you like documentaries, I think for like the history of how they've been done, it's it's a really good one to watch. Um, but yeah, I hadn't I hadn't revisited it in a long time. That's one of the few movies that I own on DVD too. Nice. My physical collection has kind of dwindled over moves in the past decade, but I do have that one. I love these intimate stories about. And the documentaries I love are mostly set in New York City. Um, like what? Which, what are some of them? Off and Running is a really cool one. Um, there is, so it's about this African-American girl who was adopted by her two mothers who are white and Jewish. Um, uh-huh. Her adopted brother is half black, half Latino. And then their other brother is Korean. Um, and she decides she wants to contact her biological mother and get to know her biological family who live in Texas and like her coming of age around that. It's like a coming of age story, but like this whole process, how she reacts to trying to get in contact with them. Um, that was super formative for me in a racial context about how yeah. to grow into my blackness and be a woman and kind of really come to terms with my own like how can you be black in America in my own way? Um, right. That just gave me something really deep and special. Off and running. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to watch this one. That's a great PBS documentary. Okay. Um, one that I'm looking at right now, Peace Star Rising, about a young girl whose dad is acting as her manager. Also a PBS documentary. 
um, and she's trying to like, she's a rapper, but it's like a kid kind of thing. And he's a weird guy. And it's, it's about their family and it's about her and how they're kind of living in poverty. Um, it's about a lot. It's really hard to kind of summarize. I'm, I'm blanking right now, but it's interesting. It's affecting. Um, but man, PBS. Mm-hmm. Did you see Hale County this morning, this evening? No. That, I think that was maybe PBS. It was a couple years ago. That was really beautiful, too. And then what was the one that you were just talking about called? P-Star Rising. P-Star Rising. I'm putting this on my list right now. Nice. It takes place in New York also? Mm-hmm. Another one is called New York Dream. Okay. I haven't seen that either. I saw that around the same time I saw Paris is Burning for the first time my junior year of college. And both movies changed my life, but New York and Dream, like there's this narrative about like immigrant kids doing the same thing. And Vicky and I are in a weird spot because like our dad is American and then our mm-hmm. mom is the one who came to the United States. So like, are we first generation technically or half in a way or like, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so to kind of like hit the ground running and do a lot for your family in that sense and really root here and be American kids with this connection to the homeland. Um, it's, that was another one that I just felt really bonded to. And that's a great, great movie. Oh my gosh. And it's a time capsule on top of that. Like all of these are time capsules in their own way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's just three movies, but like there's a whole score yeah. of them, like documentaries, and then also like diegetic films about New York set in New York, and it's like the third character. But um, I talk a lot of shit about New York City, but I think I want to live in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> do you? I think you do. should. Maybe, maybe wait till the pandemic is over. <laughs> <laughs> if it were more like livable. I don't know. I mean, people make it work, but like in my mind, that's the one thing I say to myself. I'm like, oh, if it were like, if I could have a car, if I could drive my car freely. <laughs> you could have a car. I know. But I don't it's want hard to, to park it. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with everybody else. Like, I'm not willing to do what's yeah. necessary, but if it were more expensive or less expensive and then I could drive my car, then I'd, I, I would be right there. And we've been talking a lot about how this is such a strange and interesting time to live here because everything that you know I love about New York City is like the very pro-social like community like you know interdependency and like using public transportation and kind of just being in it with your neighbors day to day and like all walks of life like all together all the time and now we're all just in our in our apartments those of us that are like fortunate to be not working and housed you know and um I'm like we've been joking like it really brings it home that we we don't pay rent for the apartment itself it's for where it is mm. <laughs> right, right now we we can't really like get out into it you know it's sad it really it is it's like so weird to miss New York while I'm here mm. you know what a name. Oh. Yeah. Have you seen The Wolf Pack? Mm-mm. That's a really good one. And that's also, I mean, interestingly, um, it's a New York documentary too, but it's about kids that 
were like kind of raised sequestered in an apartment in Manhattan and like didn't have a lot of access oh, to the world. Wait, no, I have seen that movie. I just forgot what it's called. Yeah, I was like, These I love are it weird. So much. This is, yeah, Crystal Moselle is the director, and it's like the brothers that are all obsessed with movies. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites too. That's a good one. What's that one called again? The Wolf Pack. What other movies are coming up for you right now? And I'm going to give you a moment to think. I have to use the restroom, <laughs> but I do not want to interrupt your very thought out, thorough, wonderful, like, thing. I'm going to give you a chance to think, and I'm going to go use the bathroom real quick. Okay. Um, it's still live. There's not, like, a pause feature. Um, so feel free to regale the crowd while I'm gone or <laughs> sit in silence. I'll, I'll leave it up to you, but I'll be right back. I feel bad. Julie's been sitting on the floor like she can't come up here. (laughs) Like her spot is open and everything. Okay. Movies. Any other random thoughts? I, I really miss going to the movies. That's like one of the weird sad things about quarantine. Um one of my favorite things about New York too is like on any given night you have like 30 theaters to choose from and everything <laughs> is playing and anything you can think of is you know and this director's having like a retrospective I mean you just have so much to choose from you know I've never like been so excited as a moviegoer since I've lived here but um that's obviously not happening and I feel like it will be interesting to see how like movie theaters recover from this like it's not like it was not already in a sort of precarious position as an industry right and other stuff too I mean I know like a lot of stuff has been delayed already on its like distribution schedules so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year but I mean stuff I'm looking forward to um the Wes Anderson movie that comes out in the fall Obviously, I'm always going to, like, watch his stuff. Uh, um, the Sopranos prequel. You know about that, right? No. <laughs> the Many Saints of Newark. Um, that has uh, James Gandolfini's son playing, like, a young Tony Soprano. Like, his son in real life playing, like, a Tony Soprano. I don't know if that's still 2020. I think it was, like, slotted for the fall. Um, but I'm really excited about that cautiously excited you know (laughs) cautiously excited that reminds me of like that nwa movie where they casted like ice cubes kid the younger (laughs) version of him yes that's interesting yeah and unoriginal but okay yeah so we'll see i don't know what are you excited about Mm. i don't know i'm just excited to get out of my house in general but when it comes to movies and you know, that sort of ritual, I I still feel very, like, it's not out of my norm. Um, 
if anything, I think it's become a richer process for me to find movies and kind of escape that way or rewatch things. But I was telling Kelly this because we um, had a Google chat. Well, we did it over Zoom this time, like last week. And I was telling her that the last time I went to the movies, um, I went to see Birds of Prey in the IMAX theater at Homestead Lowe's. Mm-hmm. Um, the AMC theater and that was yeah. the first time or maybe the second time I had seen an IMAX movie um, and they were super late like starting it and I, I arrived late and I was like maybe I got the time wrong but like they had to restart the projector or something and we were sitting there for like 20 <laughs> minutes so the manager comes in and he's like hey folks sorry about that and he gave each of us a voucher um, so I'm looking forward to getting to use that as soon as it is safe to go out in public what movie were you supposed to be watching birds of prey okay okay so have you been able to see it did they like release it to streaming platforms they released it to streaming platforms and that day they were still able to play the movie it just started like hella late Uh, oh okay so you did see it Mm -hmm. nice nice and it was pretty cool yeah i heard positive things about it i really went to see it because it Margot Robbie, I think she's a really wonderful character actress. Yes. Um, but I'm I'm not really into the comic book world of superhero stuff. Um, but she was great. It was a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I also have like fatigue of <laughs> Marvel and DC intellectual property, like kind of taking over all of the movie making that happens. Um, but. I will watch it. Maybe I will now that I'm home and don't have other stuff to do. I might watch Invisible Man since I see that you can rent movies that are in theaters right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at how the world is reacting. Because nothing is actually in theaters right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I might do that because, you know, Elizabeth Moss. Yes, I want to watch that too. And then there's another one when Emma, Emma also came out. Um which is I can't remember the actress's name uh I'm blanking on it but I wanted to see that as well I think they transitioned it to streaming also Mm. what's Bird's favorite style of movies like what does he like to watch I mean we watch pretty much everything together so he we you know we watch we watch a lot of movies. <laughs> we just watched um, Tree of Life, which is um, this like extremely epic, um, like all-encompassing <laughs> movie that has Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain in it. Mm. Um, it's Terrence Malick. He's like a big, big deal director guy. Um, and it was, be- I mean, we watched that a few nights ago. Crazy, beautiful, uh, really huge movie. And yeah, sometimes like left to his own devices, Ferdinand will watch like, like, um, old, like, like kung fu movies <laughs> or like, you know, Movies where people are, like, seeking vengeance and revenge. I feel like he'll he'll kind of default to that sometimes. But he likes everything. He's omnivorous, for sure. Mm. James is omnivorous. He likes... But I think he mainly likes, like, the DC Marvel 
superhero stuff um and then sci-fi that's his other thing yeah sci-fi books sci-fi movies and the adaptations like he gets really um in depth and like he loves to study them uh and it's really cool to hear him talk about that so he's got me into sci-fi stuff i like sci-fi too i've been rewatching all of the old star trek movies oh my gosh (laughs) one thing i did both did you trek yeah you and james both love star trek yeah have you seen any of the movies Mm -mm. yeah i watched um like in the last two weeks i watched like wrath of khan star trek 3 to search for spock star trek 4 the voyage home (laughs) the final frontier but i really love the movies and i don't know i've been very comforted by like the kind of 80s sci-fi aesthetic so i've been returning to those a lot it's um i've been returning to stuff i've been doing a lot of rewatching in quarantine i think sometimes ferdinand maybe is like you're watching this again <laughs> <laughs> like Rudy? like like this week for example is like jesus christ superstar week i've watched it several <laughs> times already i think he's over it <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time on a loop yeah exactly if we're talking about like uh adaptations of the gospel um i'm on a godspell end of the spectrum oh yeah i don't think i've ever seen all of jesus christ superstar oh you should watch it i love it (laughs) (laughs) and there's another movie i love have you ever seen jesus of montreal no i never heard of it yeah i think you might like it let me grab it um Okay, Jesus of Montreal. I found this at Barnes and Noble. Oh, I used to just like walk around. I when I first got my license, I was like, I'm free. I'm a woman on the road, um, and I would just like go to Boardman and hang out at different places and feel like I was going on a road trip, like out west or something. Um, and I had this ritual where I would. Like I had, it was, it was almost like thrifting. I knew I was going to find a good sweater. I felt the energy. I knew I was going to find a good movie. I felt the energy. I'd go to Barnes and Noble um, and just sort of look through until I found the coolest. I found a lot of foreign films there that were surprisingly like affecting. And Jesus of Montreal is one of those movies. Oh, is it, is it Canadian? Yes. Okay, cool. And... So I'm going to read the back of the the DVD thing, the little description. Okay. A Montreal shrine seeks to inspire its congregants by modernizing its historically successful yet predictable staging of the Passion Play. A promising cast of vibrant young actors sign on, fresh from perfume commercials, pornographic films, and an affair with the Basilica's priest to quickly drive the production to become a smash hit. But as the play enjoys this success the actors become more and more challenged to separate their real lives from their lives on stage. Mm. Yeah, I want to see it. I, um, what, when was it, like, when did it come out? Is it contemporary? Um, 2004. When you were reading that, I, like, just remembered that last year that Mary Magdalene movie came out Mm -hmm. with Rooney Mara and I never watched it. So maybe I should watch that too. Interesting. I lied. This came out in 1989. 
the DVD oh, wow. came okay. out, like it became a thing in 2004, but the movie itself, 1989. Okay, I'm adding this to the list with P-Star Rising. <laughs> Jesus of Montreal. Got it. Yeah, you should watch Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. It's a... It's it's Holy Week, Liz. It's the perfect time of year. Tis the season. <laughs> it's Holy Thursday as we speak. I know. Oh, I'm proud of myself. I I actually was like, you know what? I know it's a completely arbitrary rule to eat fish on Fridays, but I'm gonna like stick to it, and I did. Um, for the first time in my life, so I feel like I accomplished something throughout like Lent for once in my life. So yes. I miss the Friday fish fries in Pittsburgh. We used to try to go to different churches every Friday mm-hmm. and eat fish. <laughs> Did you have a favorite place for fish? Um, like a favorite church? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember what they were all called. In Youngstown, too, my parents are still like every Friday picking up fish from a spot mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhere. Sounds really good. Instead, I bought these gorgeous fish sticks when I went to the shop and save. Nice. So, no authentic, like, church fish fry. I wanted to do that this year, but the church near me put up a sign and they were like, don't come here. We're not doing it right now. (laughs) Weird times. Very weird times. Yeah. So, we have talked for an hour and five minutes and yes. I'm blown away by this moment to connect and talk about movies and other current events. Like, I love that we were able to have this moment. How do you yeah. feel? I feel great. I'm excited I got to be part of your podcast, which I've been wanting you to make for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems like a very natural format for you. Oh, cool. Well, thank you, because you, you're, like, the push to, to help me, like, really finally do it. So... You had to keep it up even when quarantine is over. I, I plan to. I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think I discovered, like, this feels really real for me, too. Like, I'm just like, oh, wow, why haven't I been doing this? Yeah, you have a good radio voice, too. I I cringe listening to my own voice. I probably won't listen to, <laughs> to your finished product of this. But I, I am, like, you really, if you're not a DJ or, like, something, podcasts is perfect for your for your strengths as a voice actor. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I think that's, I take that as a compliment. So yes, definitely. When I did speech, I remember, um, cause I didn't really like debate or understand what I was doing. One kid came up to me at the end of a round and I knew I lost, but he was like, you have a really soothing voice. And I was like, Jesus, are you pulling some shit out of your butt to like make me feel better? Like I know. <laughs> No, you do. I agree with him. And that's what I thought at the time. I, I really ran with it. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. I accept it. I, I'm leaving space for it. And I'm like, yes, I yeah. do. <laughs> there was like a day, like, I think actually like the first um, like audio message that you sent me in quarantine time, I was like sitting out in my yard in the, I have a very tiny little like patch of urban grass. <laughs> and I was like sitting in the middle of it on a, on a chair like trying to get some like sun in my system and I was I was just like listening to your audio audio messages I was like oh this is so soothing and relaxing (laughs) (laughs) 
So I look forward to continuation of this one. And uh, yeah, it was great, great chatting with you. Oh, yeah. I feel like because of the length of this conversation, I'm not going to overly edit. That's the other thing I think will be part of my artistic, I don't know, podcasting. I mean, I need to cut it down the moment I went to the restroom. But otherwise, like all of this will stay. Um, it's a lot. You might have to end it a little. <laughs> I'll listen to it first. I, I like that it's just natural and through, both, through, through but yeah. that, I don't know. I, I will take that suggestion because that was going to be my next question. Like, what are some pointers or thoughts that you have as a listener um, to improve what I'm doing so far? Oh, I don't know. I think the free, the free form style has worked well so far. So awesome. It's, your editorial choices are working for me. Awesome. So yeah. I, I've been posing this to people. What is your goal and or hope for the next week, end of this week, or however you like to answer that in life? Man, my hope. Um, you know, I mean, trying to kind of like navigate this strange, anxious time and like maintain. I mean, I was talking to my brother last night about how you know, you don't want to, like, have this baggage that this is a time that we all need to be hyperproductive. Mm-hmm. I think that is the wrong message to kind of latch on to. But I, agree. I, I would like to take on something creative um, while I have this time. I feel like it sort of reminds me of, like, being, like, a young teenager before I had a lot of independent mobility to, like, leave the house. Mm-hmm. You know, like summers when you would just be like, ah. <laughs> you know, like in your room for hours, like, you know, rearranging your stuff and like <laughs> rewatching movies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of like a similar kind of restless ennui. But I think that's like what leads to creativity for me. So maybe I need to keep reading and watching stuff until I feel like I'm ready to make something. What's your medium? Are you a writer? I always thought you were a writer. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have like a anything formal, but like, yeah, I like to write and I like to, I don't know, I like to just kind of, yeah, I guess writing, primarily writing, not in any specific form, but, um, you know, writing emails to friends and letters to people that I used to write to and stuff like that even just journaling and making lists and keeping an output going I, I think is that. like all good practice mm-hmm. yeah. my goal this week um ooh. well I feel I I already accomplished my goal mm-hmm. which was to have a hard conversation um I don't need to get into the specifics but I was able to sort it um so I guess I can have a hope Um, My hope is to keep finding cool new stuff. I was on Netflix this morning and I just couldn't find the right show to set the vibe to start my day or the right movie. Um, And if I'm not sure about something, at first I set a timer for 15 minutes. I'm like, give it 15 minutes before you decide like this isn't for you. And I I I wasted 45 minutes. I couldn't find the right thing. And then I settled on Crip Camp. Um, because that's a new documentary that seems interesting. I've heard about that. But even then, I wasn't that into it. Um, so I want to find something that will really 
arrest my soul. But like, if you still have something on in the background now. I do. I have YouTube on, um, and I'm watching Emma Chamberlain videos. She's a YouTuber. Have you heard of her? I think I've heard you talk about her before. Yeah, she her stuff is random and weird. Um, and this one in particular, I don't think I've seen before. Um, she will sometimes collaborate with like other old Viners or Viners turn YouTuber. So she's doing something with James Charles and the Dolan twins. Um, I haven't seen this one before. I like her vlogs a lot better, but it's not a movie, just kind of something on in the background. Cause as you might recall, I was watching tasty videos before and then it autoplay took us drastically elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The best kind of YouTube tangent. All right. Well, I will let you go. I can't thank you. Thank you enough for this. I love you, Maggie. This was awesome. Me. It was really fun. And we'll have to talk uh, offline one of these quarantine days. So <laughs> I'll talk to you really soon, hopefully. Awesome. Tell 